And the good news is, guys, Georgia won the Peach Bowl. Of course, yeah. you knew that because you've already listened to the post-game podcasts. We didn't do one. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> yeah, but I, don't, I know there's no spoilers. Georgia won the Peach Bowl. What's up, Georgia football fans? It's been a few weeks since our last podcast, which was the Peach Bowl preview show. I suppose you could consider this the very belated, very late Georgia Bulldog Peach Bowl champion postgame podcast. We do share our thoughts on what took place in the game, Pod Lesney's awesome kick at the end, and a few important moments that we feel might carry over into the 2021 season, among other topics. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you are listening to episode 236. Nope, you're listening to episode 263. I'm going to leave that error in of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. I'm joined via Zoom by my two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller. We meant to get together in person for this show, but I had a last-minute thing come up, so we had to do it remotely. So safe to say our next show will be in person, and it'll probably come sometime in February. And before we begin, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our football season podcast partner, one more time, the Northside and Westside Bottle Shop, which you can find them online at bottleshopathens.com, and also the SP2 Hospitality Restaurant Group, made up of El Barrio, The Pine, and The Root in Five Points, The Pub on Main in Watkinsville, and The 11th Pin at the Bowling Alley on Macon Highway. Make sure you give those establishments an opportunity to earn your business in this coming year. All right, on to the episode. Hope you enjoy the show, and here's Will to get it all started. We were, yeah, we finally got together. We were supposed to be together last uh, Wednesday. We were going right. to take last Wednesday. It felt, as you pointed out over Twitter, Scott, uh, maybe not the best. Uh, I, I certainly was not prepared. I'm not sure I'm prepared to do it to talk now uh, from Wednesday, but I definitely was not ready uh, that night to do it. So um, uh, I, uh, I don't think, uh, I know that it annoys people when we talk about politics, so we're not going to talk about politics, but I think it's, I think we can all agree. And I would hope our listeners can all agree that stomping the Capitol is bad. And if you do that, you should go to jail. Like we can all agree on that. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. No arguments here. Yes. Um, so uh, hopefully uh, we'll make it through the next week and a half and, uh, and um, we'll get to have a normal life next year. Um, I am literally looking forward to not thinking about the president for a few days. Yes, it's going to be for like an hour, right? I mean, honestly, with, without the Twitter, it has been nice, right? Like it's been yeah. actually yeah, yeah. kind of nice, regardless of one's thoughts about this, to be like, I don't like that. I'm not going to wake up and have him see he's in a fight with with Kristen Stewart again. Like, you know, it's just nice to like, why? What did he call Ben Midler? Like, I don't even care about Ben Midler. So uh, it'll be nice to have that over uh, at the very least. But I, I hope everyone is OK. I know this is a troubling and difficult time for everyone, regardless of any uh, of their uh, political persuasions. This is uh, an unprecedented time and it's been very difficult. And uh, I hope everybody's hanging in. OK. And the good news is, guys, Georgia won the Peach Bowl. Of course, yeah. you knew that because you've already listened to the post-game podcasasts. We didn't do um, <laughs> No, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> this is the post-game podcast. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, there's no spoilers. Georgia won the Peach Bowl. Um, and, okay. and, and, and I have to say, let's, let's go. I have not actually got the chance to talk about the game with anyone. So let's talk about it. It wasn't that long ago. It was like 12 days ago and it was New Year's and it was all it was all crazy. So let's talk about the Peach Bowl because it was I have to say uh, particularly as bad as the other semifinal as the semifinal games were, it was incredibly entertaining. And I know that there is this school of thought out there that says if Georgia if that 
awesome kick. One of my favorite, definitely my favorite post Rodrigo kick. Oh, and just an absolutely awesome, awesome. Like that was Rodrigo esque. Like a that howitzer, just right down the middle. Awesome. Like it, that's that. I think it would have been good for six, sixty. It was just an awesome pressure, no timeouts. Just get up there, boom, badass kick. Um, but if he misses that kick, I am not of the. Oh well, what is wrong with Georgia? In the same way that if he makes that kick, it's not like okay, here they come. Like that was a good game. Cincinnati is a good team. <laughs> like if there's me any takeaway from that, uh, I feel like it should be more impressive that Georgia, with its second and third strings and with kind of all kind of the issues that they had, were able to beat a really good Cincinnati team. Like they were missing some people too, to be clear, but they were motivated. They were good. They were revved up. They clearly hit Georgia hard in the first half. I think it speaks very well to Georgia and Kirby smart and kind of what they've got going on here that they didn't pull an Auburn in the central Florida uh, bowl game where they were like, Oh yeah, no, never mind. We're not, we're not, we don't care about this enough to punch you back right now. The fact that they kept that going and and came back to me was more encouraging than, okay, the offense is going to be great next year. We got this, uh, or that even that they won. The fact that they made that kind of pushback uh, and uh, to me was, was particularly on the defense was pretty inspiring. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you brought up a great point um, that I think it's important that we look emotionally. It is fantastic. We won that game because we, we spent the entire game behind until the last literally three seconds of the game. Right. I mean, I mean, we, we, there was never a point in that game. I always felt like we, we could come back and win it, but there was never a point in that game where I felt like Georgia was like, okay, we got this. Um, first off, second off, I, uh, it is important to remember that, uh, and Will, I don't know if you, you've made the point on the podcast or as you and I just talking, this team is a lot like Dayton was last year in the NCAA basketball uh, season, right? It was a veteran team that had completely bought into what Luke Fickle was selling, who had been playing together for two, three, and four years, that had a very, very good quarterback who had good skill positions, and most importantly, they played their ass off on defense. And that was their that was their MO all year. Because you know, you originally you think, oh, Cincinnati, AAC, they sling the ball all over, they want to, they want to score 50 points on you. Um, that was not the team we saw, right? That was a that was a team that was committed to uh they, they were committed and bought in to putting as much hurt on Georgia as they could. And I don't mean that pejoratively, just they wanted to come out and they wanted to make a point against Georgia. Um, having said that, um, first, I'm glad Georgia won because it does save a ton of um, noise and nonsense and, oh, what's wrong with Kirby? And Kirby's lost it and all this stuff that, frankly, I just do not have the mood for, uh, especially since I'm doing a dry January. Um, second off, you know, I think it is also important to note that um, we kind of saw Georgia win a football game under the Daniels era uh, in, in a third way, right? We've seen Georgia come out and just throw the ball all over the field and just do great. Daniels threw the ball fine. We've seen Georgia just run all over people. But we, we saw the game where Georgia's defense basically scrapped their way back into the game when the offense was really trying to figure themselves out. Um, if you want to point at that game and, and have an uh-oh moment, and, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about the 2021 season, the uh-oh moment is that offensive line, man. It did not look good. And that's a good, that's a good Cincinnati front. Um, 
a touch undersized, extremely well coached, but we just looked like, I mean, there it was hot garbage at times, just absolutely all over the place blocking wise. And um, there was a time in that game where Georgia was getting out physical. Now, a lot of people were like, well, I blah, and you know, all this stuff. And that was a terrible interception, but Georgia got inside the 23 times and came up with like three points. And that is, uh, you can't, you're not going to be able to do that next year. I mean, I don't, yeah, I guess Alabama is just going to reload and be even better and be the greatest team in the history of the world since last year. Um, that seems to be the world we live in now, but, um, I, I was just really impressed with, I, I hate using terms like grit and determination, but Georgia showed it, right? They showed that they were bought in to win in the Peach Bowl. They showed that Kirby was able to coach a team up, uh, and we can talk about the game time decisions, but coach a team up and have them mentally ready to go in and do something. Because that, if the team that we saw play the first half of the game after the Florida game had showed up in the Peach Bowl, Cincinnati had blown the doors off of Georgia. And they didn't. They fought, they stayed in, and found a way to win. Yeah, and they, they held them in check because like you said, Tony, Cincinnati was terrifying to watch on TV because you could just feel the momentum shift their way, you know, probably in the second quarter and definitely in the third quarter when they broke that long uh, touchdown run. But, you know, if you go back to our preview podcast of the Peach Bowl, which was the last podcast we did, um, the thing that stuck in my mind as I was watching the game were the stats that we did on the recruiting classes where Cincinnati was in the forties or fifties, even the sixties one season in the past four where Georgia's one, two, or three. And I was explaining that to my kids as we were watching it, uh, trying to, I guess, give them the gravity of how shocking to me it was when I was watching it. Um, and, and Georgia was down in the, the fourth quarter needing to have a comeback. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it kind of shows you. It's like you just referenced it, the Dayton theory of, you know, how terrifying they were. And Cincinnati was this team for Georgia, especially in the postseason. The thing that I was pleased with seeing, well, actually a couple things. I really, you know, ever since I've been doing this podcast, I've bought into Tony's uh, discussion and, you know, thesis statement on stealing hope from teams. And usually it's Georgia Tech. We also do it to Auburn. We, we beat Auburn more than we, beat, than we beat Vanderbilt lately. Uh, and that's a fact. But I just enjoy seeing any time that Georgia can go and wreck somebody. And the fact that Cincinnati was undefeated. They felt slighted for not getting in the, the college football playoff, which arguably they, they should have been in there uh, instead of Notre Dame. It would have been more fun to watch them. Absolutely it would have been. But that, that was just so awesome to, to see the, the stealing of hope. And um, if, if I were to point out one thing that I noticed, actually two things that I noticed in the game that were not written about much, um, the first quarter when uh, George Pickens punched the ball away, still fighting, even though it was a clear interception in the end zone and he didn't give up. And then even as Cincinnati is recovering it, if you look in the replay, George Pickens is suplexing the dude that he had just punched the ball away from, kind of like how he had done against Georgia Tech last year. I just love that fire that he plays with. And uh, I paused it and I actually tweeted it out uh, saying like, hey, did y'all see what he just did there? And um, and the final bit before I let y'all uh, talk again um, – I think Stetson Bennett had one of the most important passes in that game. He was one for one for 12 yards. It was when JT Daniels had his helmet knocked off and he had to come in cold. And I think he threw for a first down or close to one. I think it might've been to Robinson or Washington or something, but that was not mentioned enough how he 
who started the season as the walk-on becomes starter and then loses his job to JT Daniels to come in and throw a strike for 12 yards to, to really help the team. I mean, the secret to Stetson Bennett is, is not thinking. He just hurt the ball club if you think. Yeah. So I actually love that they called a throw there. Like yeah. usually, yeah, absolutely. The back is, gets his helmet knocked off. It's yeah, hand it off, hand it off, to, and, and send the throw. And the fact that they, and, uh, you're right. And it was a reminder that for all my Stetson Bennett skepticism, like it's really fun to root for Stetson Bennett. Like he is a fun guy to watch play. I wish he were better. But, like, he is an easy guy to root for and a fun guy to watch play. And uh, we'll get into the national championship game a little bit. But um, he gave Alabama a better game than Ohio State did. Yeah, he did. Finally, it comes all around. Listen, you wanted, like, all this Justin Fields talk. Stetson Bennett did better against Alabama, got, got closer against <laughs> Alabama than, uh, than Justin Fields. Obviously he's not better than Justin Fields, but like it is where in, in the history of these things, when it's told um, Stetson Bennett was closer to beating Alabama than Justin Fields was Justin Fields. Yeah. And like, I'm not going to pretend like, I mean, Ohio was playing, Ohio state was playing. I'm not making excuses for Ohio state. Uh, they, they were laying in the bed that got made for them by the, by the virtue of some of the big 10, um, shenanigans. I firmly believe that, but you know, the reality is, is like after, um, sermons went out, that was about, that was pretty much the game plan for Ohio State going out. Um, but you're not wrong. Oh, by the way, guys, don't, don't put somebody that's built like me and wearing 32 covering Devonte Smith. Um, that's just, just a pro tip. I mean, I'm not a defensive coordinator, but, uh, I, d- I did sit by Brian Van Gorder in church one day. So, um, that is, uh, that, <laughs> My favorite, my favorite Twitter moment of the entire national championship game was uh, somebody had a gif of that, and somebody said number thirty two's check engine light just came on, and uh, <laughs> there is just no better way to put it than that. Um, it really, it but, really felt a little bit like like it, it is definitely the most I've ever like uh, really felt a kinship with a football player. Like, like, the, the idea, yeah. like, like that's, that's like, that would like, obviously it would be much worse if I tried to guard Smith, but that's what it must have felt like to realize, Oh wow. This is, and I think someone, I think someone put in a great tweet that like one of the great things about college football is while every player is basically the best player at the high level college football, every player is the best player at their high school. But then yeah. you get a certain moment where you, there is a future nine time pro bowler against a future litigation attorney. Yeah. And you just see the, yeah. uh, the, the beauty happen. And uh, I think that that may have been one of those moments. I assume Mac Brown's eyes almost popped out of his head when he saw, he saw a linebacker in press coverage with no, with the cover zero on Devonte Smith, wow. I just I'm I have to assume that he had to go, he had to go clean his pants because that was just an entire thing. Uh, as 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 Bert as Bert would say, as it was borderline erotic. Um, and you know, I think the I think the takeaway there, and there's there has been some snarky moments about Georgia uh, and how well Georgia played Alabama vis-a-vis uh, Ohio State. I. I I'm trying to be objective when I say this, and I haven't done the stats comparison, but I do believe Georgia gave had one had a better game plan than Ohio State did, and also gave Alabama a a tougher game. Granted, it was the third game of the season for both teams, but you know Georgia was playing with a quarterback that it, I mean you can't on one hand it's like well yeah but and then also say well, it was four string quarterback like you you can't you I mean you know. 
it's like the the Schroeder's quarterback if you wanted to get in that argument with about with people about Stetson Bennett. Um, but you know, getting back to the way Georgia played, I think it's it was interesting defensively. Um, it was interesting defensively uh, how well we played after that long touchdown run. And it's almost like something sparked with the, the defense has been playing really well up to then. But after that 75 yard run, Cincinnati had one drive that was more than a three and out and gained a net of 17 yards in the second half after the 75 yard touchdown run. Um, and that was, uh, that's what I was talking about with a, you know, leading them back into uh, them, leading them back into it because, you know, it was a, uh, you know, was punt, punt, fumble, punt, punt, punt. And then the safety. Of course, we, we didn't talk about Palesny's um, 90, or let's see, 70, what, 65, 63-yard kickoff uh, when the team is obviously trying to do set up a return or sit on the ball so they get one playoff. Um, it's – someone tells me that Scott Cochran guy can coach a little bit. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good like, – like when we do our – evaluation thing remember what time we spent talking about like can Cochran really coach uh, an actual spec like the great the answer is yes <laughs> like like I, I feel like that was not a problem this year in any way shape or form and I think that's a good sign moving forward I don't know Absolutely. if they longer because the, he's doing fewer car dealership commercials here than he was in uh, Tuscaloosa but uh, here's a question by the way speaking about the national championship game we all saw the uh, vi- the videos of um, all the people in Tuscaloosa uh, celebrating, which was, I would argue, a bit much, <laughs> I would say. Uh, I was actually surprised that I know that Alabama is different in a pandemic than a lot of places are in a pandemic. But also, like, they've won so many titles. <laughs> like, I was actually impressed by how much they kind of flo- – the fans flock the streets uh, a little bit out there in the middle of a pandemic. I was actually – like, like I was a little surprised to be honest. And I think it leads into something that Stuart Mandel wrote about in his, uh, in his kind of post game asking the question, is this the best Alabama team? Like of Saban's Alabama teams. Yes. And I think it's the best offense. I think it's the best offense in the most like, like Alabama's won some national championships when they've not actually been very fun to watch. Like this is definitely the most fun Alabama team. I don't think there's any question that I still feel like on one hand, this season is too weird to be making any sort of, oh, well, this was definitively the best. Like they played football in the middle of a pandemic. People were running out of players. Ohio State was at a bunch of guys that like, I, I think you could make an argument that everything from this year, their national championship counts. But like comparing this season's team to past season team feels in a, when you're talking about a pandemic. But also I have to say though, uh, like what's the best Georgia team of the last 30 years? Uh, the team that lost to Alabama, right? Yeah. And uh, I don't like the idea that we lost to their third or fourth best uh, best team. So uh, I, but I think that leads into the question about Georgia, which is um, this is now two years in a row where the national champion has had that offense, mm-hmm. right? Like this is two years in a row where you're like, hey, you know what? You did everything you could this year, but you ran into a team that had that offense, whether it was LSU last year or Alabama this year. The question has to be asked. You can make the argument that 18 Clemson had that off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like, uh, uh, but then the question begs the question, when does Georgia get that offense? Right. Because uh, one year is an aberration. Like, I think we've all kind of had the idea that LSU 
two years ago was a little bit of an aberration. Not that they weren't a great team because they were obviously great, but like everything fell kind of perfect, right? Burrow exploded. Brady was, was this great offensive coordinator. Everything fell exactly right for them that year in a way that surprised a lot of people. But once you saw, oh, LSU is incredible, they kind of ran into it. But you saw what happened last year with LSU. You saw what happened this year with LSU, excuse me. You saw what happened before that year with LSU. It feels like a one-year blip. This Alabama offense is not going to be as good next year as it was this year. There's just obviously different things. So on one hand, you can say it's an aberration. On the other hand, this is now two straight years where the best offense in football not only won the national championship, but dominated everyone the entire way to win that national championship, which to me begs that question that people are always asking about Kirby Smart. Can he run that offense? Can he? Uh, is Georgia in a situation where they have that offense? And I think everyone's hopeful about the offense next year. We've discussed a lot over our text chains how weirdly – um, how as much as we love Daniels, how much offense was better so much when he got there. He really does like to underthrow those deep balls. Uh, he loves to underthrow those deep balls with the with the wide receivers that they have, and particularly wide receivers they're going to have next year. It feels like it could be a definitive offense. That's the one thing he can't do uh, with that offense. Can Georgia have that kind of offense? The LSU offense of last year the Alabama offense of this year. Can they have an offense like that? Uh, I'm hopeful about next year's offense, but I don't know if I think they're that sort of offense next year. You know, one thing I'd like to see is, I, you know, I didn't see the game last night. Um, I would uh, Long story. Uh, but I did watch the highlights this morning, and the thing that stood out to me was the situations that Sarkeesian puts Devontae Smith in and how creative he is to get him the ball. And I'd seen it all season. And the highlight that did it for me, where it was like really almost like you, you let out and like, oh my God, that's amazing, was the little half motion back to the, the running back and then almost bubbled it out and completely faked out the, the Ohio State defense to when he just has a walk-in touchdown. And it's just that creative creativity uh, from Sarkeesian that worked, seemed to work with Smith that got him the Heisman that helped uh, Harris run wild and to help Mac Jones deliver the ball. And so I think that could be a piece. Maybe Munkin has it in him. I don't know. I mean, I saw, I saw definitely more creativity than Coley from last year. But uh, that's probably going to be part of the puzzle piece that needs to happen because I could see George Pickens being that guy. We probably have a couple others like uh, Jermaine Burton. Uh, and, you know, I think I've always thought that uh, – Robertson's been underutilized, but uh, but yeah, I think we've got the receivers, and surely we have more coming in next year. Uh, is the do you have the hammer back to run that? You know, kind of as Najee Harris mode, and I think we do with uh, Zemir White. So I don't. I, I'm bullish on it. I'll, I'll answer your question. I'm I'm bullish. I'm also a fan, so I'm not objective at all. But I I, th- I think that as long as they can replace some of the offensive line that they're losing and and you know get get a couple more big Ben Clevelands in there and Trey Hills, um, yeah, why not? Part of the thing that I would focus on is is less on those under throws, although that is a problem uh, because I think there's probably some specific mechanics and physical reasons for that, um, and, and probably a little. Um, uh, some working reps and learning timing with his receivers. It's um, not like he doesn't have the arm, right? Right, he does have the arm. I mean, the one the one thing that anybody that watched South Carolina, uh, South Carolina, Southern Cal, when he was starting quarterback there, is that he did have a tendency to um to f- fly balls a little bit. 
um, and that can get him in trouble against defenses uh, if he doesn't have wide open receivers. The good news is, ever since Kirby Smart Googled offense and found Todd Munkin, is yeah. that we have open receivers. Um, uh, yeah. You, by the way, you think you think you think Kirby Smart was uh, advertising to potentially tight ends in the transfer portal. The first drive was nothing but tight end passes until we got into the inside the the red zone. Um, second Luke, second Luke, game in a row. Luke Ford is definitely kicking himself right now. Yeah, <laughs> Luke Ford could have been part of this offense. He really could have been. Um, so, you know, I think part of the, um, I think part of the thing that, that you want to see out of Georgia next year is, um, I think the offensive line has to be at least as good or better than they were last, this past season. Um, I mean, there's like the, the, if you want to just watch orchestrated, uh, mayhem and a beautiful thing at that, the first four or five drives of Alabama, um, it's the way the offensive line plays as a, as a unit. And it's, I mean, they lost their start and center, man. And they just, it's just, they're just so good. They, they play really well together. And that's not to say that Georgia, Georgia looked really good offensively um, uh, on the offensive line uh, several games this year. Right. It's not like they didn't the peach bowl. They didn't look that way. And um, yeah, that's, that's the one thing you got to fix. I, I think skill position wise, I feel very comfortable where we are. Um, between the running back situation and the and the receivers and the tight ends, it's just on the, on that side of the ball. It's it's the it's the offensive line. Um, and the you know the very short way of answering the question is, I think Kirby has made the bet that this is the offense that can get him there. Um, he certainly hopes so. And you'd like to think with all the open receivers that we've gotten from um, that we've gotten in um, in Monken's offense you do have a touch of room for error. If you have a quarterback that can't deliver the Don throws that, you know, uh, the, that, that Mac Jones delivered. <laughs> uh, of course, if you got Devontae Smith, you're thrown to and, and Waddle, you're thrown to and whatever that becomes easier. Yeah. Could you argue? You probably couldn't because, uh, but you know, when talking about Heisman and also winning the national championship, I mean, Devontae Smith, he obviously caught the second and 26 ball uh, back in the January 1, 2018 as a freshman. But it was Jalen Waddell uh, who was the guy. Even Ridley was there for a moment when um, Devontae Smith was. Could you argue that this season was somewhat similar to what Burrow did last year at the quarterback position where he just exploded and exceeded all expectations? Because even at, even at Devontae Smith's Heisman acceptance, he spoke about how he would always he was always uh you know undersized and um you know had to fight hard and everything. But I almost see him like and, and it's a very positive feeling. I mean, I love Devontae Smith. In fact, on a side note, I love what he said about um you know undersized players because I got two boys and, and a girl who are all athletes and you know they're not the biggest, they're not the strongest yet. And uh, I, I paused that and I rewound it and I had all of them come around and listen to Devontae Smith's uh, acceptance speech and say, look, just just listen to this right here. You know, um, so anyway, uh, the, the question is like it's almost like it was a, an equivalency in, in a wide receiver, especially since wide receiver have a wide receiver hadn't won one in a long time to what Burrow did last year just exploded. And now he's going to be like a top five pick potentially. And he's holding the Heisman. Uh, also, I find it kind of fun to look back 
Think about um, – I'm glad you brought up the second and uh, 26 because I'm always happy to have that come up again. Sorry. But it is a good reminder that if you ever get a chance um, during um, uh, during the holiday when we were uh, all kind of stuck in so- inside for a while, uh, my son and I were watching a lot of old games. And um, look at all – like think about the next five to ten years of the NFL and look how many people are actually just involved – in the out in those two playoff games that Georgia has been in, like Smith is obviously going to be a big part of the NFL for a long time. Tua is a huge part of the NFL. Jalen Hurts is now a starting quarterback in that league. Nick Chubb, obviously, Sonny Michelle, not as much, but certainly Michael Hardman is a big part of that deal. Um, uh, the, the the idea that Baker Mayfield threw a pass to Kyler Murray in the Rose Bowl is kind of amazing. Like it's it's funny to think we you know we look back at that year and it was so perfect and. You know, Seth Emerson, Drake, um, uh, mentioned this in, in his kind of the end of the year column. But as as nice as it was for Georgia to win that Peach Bowl, there's still the undeniable fact that since that year where they went to the national championship game, they've gotten a little bit – taken a little step back each year. Not a big step back, but a little step back each year. And when you look back at that year, that year feels actually even more special now. It feels even more special, not only because Georgia hasn't gotten there, but also just the the lightning bolt of talent that was involved in 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 that run. Like we're going to go back and look at those games in twenty five years. We'll be like, holy cow, that was a game where Kyler Murray, football pro football Hall of Fame quarterback, caught a pass from pro football Hall of Fame quarterback Baker Mayfield. Like you know, it, it, to me, it really it makes that year feel that much more special. The idea that Smith now Smith, the guy that ended the whole thing has become this superstar. That's winning the Heisman trophy. That wins the Heisman trophy. It's just another reminder of how incredible that year was. And you can't leave out Roquan Smith and Rodrigo Blankenship. Holy cow. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Roquan and, and, and Rodrigo. So who uh, Rodrigo missed a field goal in the, uh, in the bills Colts game. That was kind of a bummer, but uh, they love him there. Uh, um, the, uh, I don't know if everyone saw this. I, I've been, I've been writing, I'm writing weekly NFL columns for GQ, but GQ just did a profile of Rodrigo. Oh, I- yeah, oh, and, uh, about, about two weeks ago, and uh, it was really funny. I was talking to my editor, who assigns all those stories, and he emailed. He called me. He's my old editor, in New York Magazine, and he called me. And he's British, so he doesn't know anything about football at all. He works at GQ, but it, so he calls me. He's like, "Hey, hey, uh, we're doing some NFL stuff. Uh, I'm not going to do a British accent. Uh, we're doing some NFL stuff. What is going on? What, what should they do? We just had, you know, we just. I, I, I don't know what we're doing. We just had like a profile of like a kicker." Like, I don't know why we would do that, but he's weird or something. He wears glasses. And I was like, all right, Ben, sit down. I got like plenty to talk to you about right now. <laughs> so it was really very funny to watch this like British editor I've been working with for 15 years and explain to him the glory of Rodrigo Blankenship. I felt like it was all my worlds kind of colliding. Yeah. Well, I, I read that. Uh, I read that piece on uh, Rodrigo and they did for the, for GQ. They did a very good job of capturing his essence, yeah. uh, without, you know, making him seem like some weirdo that probably wears his, uh, his golf shirts tucked into his pleated pants. Um, so I, you know, one of the things that I have, I've said long, I've said early and often is as early and often as anybody is that this Alabama team is probably better than last year's LSU team. Uh, but I think we'll put it best as like, yeah, but it's Alabama. So you don't really look at it that way. And, and, and Burrow just kind of came out of the blue. Um, the, uh, look, Jamar Chase last year set a record for receiving yards, uh, in a national championship game at like 224 yards. Devontae had 215 before he broke his fingers. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And it's a, uh, I think it's just a testament to, um, like you, the, the, like Alabama was peak early stage Saban Alabama in that 2012 season. Just, they would, they would sit on you. They would hold you down. They would beat you with defense and make you so bored of playing them in football that you would quit. Right. And, and, you know, that was the man culmination, the manifestation of Nick Saban, you know, the first iteration of Nick Saban at Nick Saban's Alabama. Um, this year was probably the culmination. It certainly was a culmination of whatever transition came about with Lane Kiffin on um, coaching the offense and kind of the, the moving towards, uh, I mean, think about it this way. Half three quarters of their plays were either RPOs or some sort of hurry up play. Um, if you don't, if you, I'll refresh your memory. Nick Saban uh, railed that you know what's the game becoming? Will somebody please think of the kids? Uh, <laughs> six years ago, seven years ago, when when this was happening, um, and it gives me hope uh, because I think Kirby is capable of making those changes. The the trick, of course, is um, you know some coaches are capable of making those changes and some aren't, and even those that are capable of making the changes are behind the curve. And um, we don't, we don't really know if you had said six years ago that Alabama and LSU would win back to back national championships while scoring in the fifties. Um, and one of the teams giving up 40 points, uh, you know, 2013, the, 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 anybody that watched the 2000, whatever the national championship was where LSU played Alabama, the 21, nothing, the same year as the nine to six year, you would have thought, wow, man, 2020 is a crazy year. Um, brother, you got that right. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, I think it's interesting that, that, that sort of, um, I think it's interesting that sort of transition has taken place. Uh, and now, and I definitely want to talk about some of the coaching changes. Um, now it looks like Bill O'Brien, uh, former Houston's head coach is going to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Of course. It looks like, Nick's starting a new trend. Yeah. Go get a disgraced NFL coach to be your offensive coordinator. <laughs> um, I mean, look, to be fair, Mark Rick tried that. That's, that's the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> that was nice. Um, uh, didn't he just get fired today, too? Like Mark Rick? Yeah. No. no, no, no. Yeah, Schottenheimer got fired in, in Seattle. Um, oh, did he? It's been a season, so it's time. The, um, yeah, he's... Yeah, but, you, uh, you would think Pete Carroll would have called people, but whatever. He's got a last. He's, he's got the right last name. Yeah. Do you have any more? Uh, do you have any more? Uh, what, what are the coaching changes were going on? We've talked about Bird, so I would. Um, well, I don't, I, friends. I don't know if you've listened, but uh, up in Tennessee. Um, yeah, there's first some off, there's, going on. There's some business okay, going on. Let me let me start with this. Um, Dan Patrick made an offhand comment. His producer made an offhand comment about. Uh, yeah, Tennessee's in trouble. But you ought to see what's happening in Athens. That feels a lot like somebody in Tennessee was like, you ought to see what's happening in Athens, and they're just repeating it, uh, first off. Uh, especially with, with, with Brooms coming out immediately with a statement, which is um, a, a difference in approach from the prior administration. We'll talk about that that immediately, yeah, I want to talk about that in a bit, but yes. yes explain, say, for, for those that missed this, explain what you're talking about. So, um, so Tennessee is in trouble and I don't, if you haven't been paying attention, you would have missed that, but Tennessee has hired a law firm to look into recruiting irregularities, particularly with the kid out of Cochran who's, who signed with Georgia and another player. Um, in the meantime, 
uh, coaches are leaving the Tennessee uh, staff. Um, um, T. Uh, T Martin and another coach, Trooper Taylor, maybe I don't remember who it is. Um, are their contracts end in three weeks and they're have not renewed them. Uh, Pruitt has not been allowed to hire new coaches, even with Will Friend and John Jansek and some other people leaving. And that, that might have changed today with Kevin Steele going there, but that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation to have too. But part of the reason is, is like there is this serious recruiting thing hanging over Tennessee. Uh, well, Dan Patrick on the show the other day said, uh, I'm, I'm generally paraphrasing here. Yeah. Tennessee's got real problems and I'm hearing Georgia got sloppy and recruiting. Um, I'm assuming about seven minutes after the tweet hit, uh, the, the, the athletic department issued a statement, Will, and you certainly should talk about that because it was, it was on point and it was like, you know, hey, we don't normally talk about recruiting. We don't normally talk about investigation in the NCAA, but you don't know who you're talking about. I have to say, uh, and th- this, uh, this maybe is a good lead into the Josh Brooks conversation, uh, uh, which was another thing that's happened since we talked is Josh Brooks got the full-time job. Uh, and it is, you talked about being a different response. I mean, it's certainly different and you guys have been around a lot longer than me, but the idea that like, I mean, I thought the, the basically they made a statement, explain the statement, explain the statement and then what we can put it in context. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm, I'm having Chad look up uh, UGA's uh, statement. Yeah. Hold. This is really good podcast. Yeah, so Andrew Perloff, who is Dan Patrick's producer, uh, tweeted, Dan says McLovin. that he's heard from a source. McLovin. McLovin, as he is known on the show. Yeah, McLovin. Uh, a source of Tennessee football will face a serious investigation. He also said that Georgia could be next. Quote, I was told Georgia got sloppy in recruiting. Um, that was uh, that was the McLovin's uh, comment. So this is the school statement released immediately after that. While we do not comment on alleged NCAA investigations at other institutions, we have no information to suggest there's any validity to the reports relating to our football program. Um, that is the closest thing to screw you and the horseshoe you brought in. I walked walk in on, and if, if you got heat, bring it. I mean, that is pretty much as close as you're going to get from UGA. And it's different, right? Like, again, we can, we can discuss whether or not we like that or whether we don't like that. But that is definitely a difference of approach. And it's and not, forget just a difference of approach. It's a difference of attention is actually probably the best way to put it. Like McGarity would have never even like, no, like I, I, McGarry might've had a couple of aides that would let him know about that. Like a day. Yeah, probably what, probably what would happen is two days later on Monday, there would have been a statement that says, um, George is aware of the allegations that have been floated in the media about recruiting issues. We are looking into them and feel comfortable that Coach Smart's program is run the right way or something like that. Yes, but like this was rapid. This was not messing around. And I think think that is that is I would argue uh, that is the smart way to handle it. I would also argue that's the current way to handle it. Like that's the thing is that like you know that is I'm not messing around. That's uh, like for and for the record, I know I used to host a show with Perloff. Like I've known Perloff like a long time, and he's just quoting crap that's on his radio. Like he's just throwing stuff out there because that's yeah. kind of what they do. And like Perloff is not woj, you know. Like he's 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 just kind of tossing stuff out there. It's kind of his thing. The idea that that got kind of knocked down immediately. 
I think speaks not only to the specific incident, but also the general idea that like, yeah, we're not going to stand for this crap. And I think that that is smart. And I think that is not only smart, but the way things are handled now, generally, and the way that smart athletic directors handle it, I was impressed by. But again, just to be clear, I'm friends with Josh. Keep that in mind anytime I discuss this stuff. But uh, I, I thought that was the correct way to handle it. Absolutely. And it was refreshing. Yeah, it was different. It was different. And it, and it was uh, – it was. so we, should we talk about the hiring of Josh? We have not talked about the hiring of Josh. Yeah, I, I do want to say one thing about that. Yeah, That 100% was somebody at Tennessee, probably Phil Fulmer saying, oh, you got to watch out for Georgia down there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just – there's no – it's just – it just reeks of that. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. And um, so, yeah, so Josh Brooks got the job. He got the job. Uh, I think we all thought he was going to get the job. Uh, we were all suspected that, but uh, he did. And I, I, I would argue, I don't know if you want to cut this in uh, at some point, Scott, but uh, did, did we see what Kevin from the office uh, did? Have you guys seen this? Yeah, I saw it. Oh, yeah. Kevin Malone. Yes, Kevin from the office. It was not a cameo. You can't hire Kevin on cameo, but he actually did this on his own. Uh, I, oh, think, I thought it was a cameo. It said cameo yeah. on the tweet. I, I I don't think someone asked him. I, I didn't think it was an actual cameo because he put it. Oh, okay, maybe it was a cameo. You're right. You're right. Oh, hold on. I'm going to see if he's on there. He's on. He's definitely on cameo. Hello, Josh. Is he? Oh, I, yeah. Josh. Here, do you you want me to pause it and we can play it? Yeah. Okay. Here goes. Hello, Josh. Josh Brooks. <laughs> Surprise. I know. Uh, we have never met. Oh, but we might sometime soon. Listen, Clark Williams reached out to me and wanted me <laughs> to congratulate you, Josh, on becoming the AD. That's right. The athletic director for the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Go dogs. Sick them. <laughs> Uh, now, I don't know if you know this, Josh, but I am your most prestigious alumnus. But I didn't go there. This That sounds weird. What does that mean? Well, I spent more time on that campus when I was a kid than most of the students who actually went there. If you, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Josh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, congratulations to you. Who knows? I may reach out to you sometime in the future. You know, I'm I'm doing a favor for you. So this, I may, I may, you may be asked to return the favor at some point in the future. Uh, I'm a big Bulldogs fan, truly. I'm from Atlanta. I don't know if you know that. Went to Athens almost every weekend as a kid. Uh, I did not go there uh, for college. I, grade school. I was in. I was interested in theater. I don't know if you heard. Um, and and that was that was not quite the right place for me. But it still holds a very near and dear place in my heart. I love what Kirby's doing. Uh, God bless you. You stay healthy, stay safe. Congratulations. And yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, my, my folks are still in the cell. I may be reaching out to you. Nice. Congratulations. Oh, and Clark, by the way, Clark should make you a big pot of chili. <laughs> yeah. Cause nothing says congrats like chili. Just don't spill it. <laughs> Sorry, it's Kevin. It's just Kevin. 
<laughs> so yeah, that was a cameo. I apologize. That was a cameo from Clark Williams from the university uh, department. I, I do like the idea that like Kevin uh, and Brian Baumgartner is his name, of course, but uh, Kevin still, uh, uh, I don't know if he was asked to bring in the chili part at the end, but he must be very tired of doing the chili thing on every, uh, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's Keith Richards doing the satisfaction riff. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, also, you know, if you're getting paid 190, 95 bucks to talk for two minutes, you can bring up chili, right? I'll talk about chili all day long. Is that his rate? I don't know. Oh, okay. But, uh, but no, so I, uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, I think that the sign that Josh, uh, got the job is probably indicative of a, uh, Josh's intelligence and ability to do the job, but also, um, I don't think people, um, I'm curious to see how much like, listen, the football program in a lot of ways, I wouldn't say it's autonomous to any way it stretch of the imagination, but it's different than the rest of the programs. And to me, I'm kind of curious to see, I mean, you know, the idea, we'll see what happens with the Georgia basketball team, but you know, there's there uh, certainly there are programs, Olympic Olympic programs, whatever you want to say within the Georgia athletic department that I think could use some attention and I am curious to see uh, what direction happens with those. Yeah, I think well, I, th- I think part of his it, it's interesting, right? I mean, I think his first marching order is going to be the same marching order has always been for Georgia athletics, which is stay in the black, uh, put a priority on football, uh, keep the major donors as happy as you can, and uh, make the changes you feel comfortable making to improve the fan experience. Uh, when the noise gets loud enough. And I mean, that is a cynical view, uh, but in, until we see something different out of the athletic uh, administration, I think that's probably the correct view. The one thing I liked is that I think there is a level of um, the fact that they named him so quickly, they looked to lock up um, the deputy AD for, for women's athletics so quickly um, and, and made the, um, and kind of made the changes permanent tells me there's a level of trust there. It, and frankly, unless something goes down, he, he's going to outlive Jerry Moorhead, uh, Jerry Moorhead's term as president. Right. So, um, you know, he is fortunate in that he doesn't have any big decisions to make immediately about coaches, at least, uh, obviously there are some going to be some revenue constraints over the next year. But um, I think part of that is easily fixable if, if football stays pretty good and basketball stays at least entertaining. Uh, men's basketball stays entertaining uh, and, and baseball continues its uh, kind of upward trajectory. And women's basketball is looking very good right now. So, I mean, I think he has those things going for him. I think the really interesting thing will be to see if uh, how much focus he puts on bringing championships into these other sports. And I've been a long proponent of saying that you don't have just to be a football school if florida texas stanford other places can have excellence in multiple high level and and olympic sports there's no reason the university of georgia can't uh, and frankly part of that is that there hasn't been a focus on it until now and i think josh likes winning just enough to be able to to say that i feel comfortable he's going to focus on that well good luck you're uh, you're gonna need it. <laughs> it's a big job, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I do think that uh, uh, you know it's hard to come up with a bigger challenge in collegiate sports 
than what collegiate sports are going through right now. <laughs> and, and so uh, if you can make it through this fire, I think there's a, there's a long, good career ahead. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, Hey, I would, uh, I'd probably, look, I'm Irish, but I'm probably fine living a little less interesting times. Yeah, oh, for kind of life. Like three things that would have been the top story in every newspaper in America and any other time in human history have broken during this call. And I didn't even think, oh, yeah, 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 we'll be fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like the eighth thing since Tuesday, since Monday. Like uh, uh, that, that, that's where we are. I guess we probably should talk for a second about Auburn hiring Brian Harson. Um, feels like a weird hire to me. Uh, although they did go get, I, I think the thing to think about there in splits on duo, uh, which is, uh, Alex Kirshner, um, Richard Johnson and, uh, and Stephen Godfrey, special guest, Stephen Godfrey. Um, I think the thing that you, that's most impressive there is the thing they hit on immediately is that that went from very Auburn to very not Auburn in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, it looked like Kevin Steele had pushed out Gus Miles on. Uh, and there was a uh, there was a direct coup attempt that would result in him getting the job, and then it went to hey we're offering the job to all these other people including Sark, uh, and then suddenly within two days the AD stepped up took control of that search went and got the best available coach, and I said best available coach best available coach that would touch that job, <laughs> and um, brought him back to Auburn. Uh, he made a fantastic uh, defensive coordinator hire and Derek Mason. Um, I I think it remains to be seen uh, whether Mike Bobo can adjust to the offense that we talked about earlier. I think he certainly has the capability of doing it. Uh, but he hired Mike Bobo as his offensive coordinator. So Brian Harson, if you're worried about him not understanding the SEC, he went and got a former longtime offensive coordinator in the SEC who has head coaching experience and he coached against in the Mountain West and another longtime head coach in Derek Mason. Uh, to coach his defense. And I think Derek Mason is probably the best defensive coordinator hire of the season. Uh, inc- and I include the, uh, I include the guy from Cincinnati that went to coach for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. I, I will say this, that like, it was impressively sane and intelligent and prudent in a way that makes me think he is all wrong for Auburn. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's going to be boring. <laughs> like it's smart. Like it's like what a smart, coach making good decisions would do as opposed to looking for the most immediate quick fix he can find and uh we'll see how much patience they have for that but uh that's what you would want a guy to do in that situation if you were auburn though none if you were us who's the most injured program going into 2021 based out of all this turnover is it south carolina even though beamer's a good guy but it's tennessee it's got Tennessee yeah. still yeah yeah I mean, I want to say Florida because they have their own nonsense. We haven't even – that's that's how crazy this is season Mullen has sniffing been. around? He's always sniffing around. I think but his agent is definitely sniffing mm-hmm. around. I mean, Mullen's problem is he is incapable of being the big dog, right? He, um, he has this uh, everybody's against me mentality and not in the way that Urban Meyer had. It's, uh, you know, we got to go out and prove our mettle and we got to prove ourselves and – you know, it's not quite shark humping, but it is it's tiring to the Florida people. I ran into a Florida fan today. Uh, I was at this, uh, I was skiing today and there was a guy. <laughs> it was the typical guy who had his jeans look like they uh, he put some scotch guard on them so they wouldn't get wet. And then he had a Florida pullover, you know, hoodie. Yeah, he picked up a, a ski of mine that had fallen. When we were about to go and 
inside and uh, get something to eat. And I was like, oh, you're a Florida fan, obviously, you know. Uh, he was like, yeah. I was like, so what do you think about Mullen? And, you know, and, and his dealings with, like, the, there's stuff about the Jets and, 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 you know, the season, losing, you know, uh, four games this season. I didn't tell him I was a Georgia fan. I just, you know, asked him. He was like, oh, we really like his style down there. That, that was it. I mean, he likes their style. So to me, based on that one person that I spoke to, Florida fans don't really care what he does as long as he keeps up his style that he's going. And uh, guys that uh, scotch guard their jeans and wear a hoodie going skiing uh, tend to like that. Definitely the jorts. Oh, yeah. It was just because it was cold that he didn't have those on. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, to me, like, again, I, I've said this before with Mullen. I'm so glad he doesn't coach the team that I cheer for. Like in all seriousness, yeah. like, like, listen, I've, I've had plenty of criticism for Kirby Smart on this podcast, but like Kirby Smart is like a grown human being who like makes like good decisions, like always tries to make good decisions. And I think it's generally like, it's just, I'm just glad that dude is not someone I have to cheer for in the same way that Bruce Pearl is I'm glad that like that's not a guy that coaches my team that I got to deal with. Pearl is a little worse, but uh, for me, Mullen is trouble. Like he's trouble. Like there, there, there's there. It's it's a it's a I, anyone that acts like that in the middle of a situation like this, I'm real wary of. And frankly, these are things not that different than what we were saying about Pruitt a couple of years ago. And boy, is that Pruitt extension looking. Whew, uh, rough right now. Like I don't know if you've read any uh, stuff. The Athletic has done some great stuff. My former sports on the sports on Earth colleague over there has done great stuff on Pruitt at Tennessee. He he doesn't think that he's going to make it to the start of the year. He thinks that this Pruitt stuff is. He thinks this is a matter of time until Pruitt's gone. Which on one hand, you know maybe you don't want Pruitt to go away because he stinks and they'll be able to stop on Tennessee. But like if he is forced to leave in a mid recruiting cycle where they have to deal with all that stuff, that's going to push them back. Like that's going to push them into the time where Illinois hired Lovey Smith in March. Like it's yeah. the sort of thing that will like screw up everything. So uh, to me, uh, I think you want Pruitt to do what he's doing, which is trying to hang on as long as he can until they finally say enough and then just get rid of him. You want that to go as far as you can because all that does is screw up that program anymore. I, 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 you talked to Scott, you just talked about what place is in the most trouble. For me, I'd rather be a fan of Missouri right now than Tennessee. I'd rather be a fan of Mississippi right now than Tennessee. Tennessee's got some problems coming for a while, and uh, they had no one to blame but themselves. I mentioned today that we were we were skiing. Well, right when we got there, it was about 29 degrees, and my oldest son, Jack, uh, forgot his toboggan, which I told him, I was like, that's okay, you're going to wear a helmet anyway. And uh, it was still cold that morning, especially as we got to the top of the mountain. So uh, he got quiet for a minute, and I'm going to show you, this is great podcasting, but we had our neck gaiters on, right? And so finally, he was like, Dad, I heard him from like, you know, maybe 20 yards behind me yelling. I, I turned. I was worried something had happened or he was stuck, you know, a ski fall off. And he had taken his helmet off and shown me. He was like, look, I can do the Jeremy Pruitt and I'm not cold anymore. And so I'm showing y'all that he puts the he put his neck gator over his head and just showed his face uh, while he was skiing down the mountain. And I was like, 
Bravo, son. Bravo. Oh, that's that. And is, it didn't get the it didn't get the head covered while you were there, so that's good. No, no, not while you're skiing. No, you can't get it there. You have raised that kid right. You have raised that kid right. Good work. Well, guys, I'm almost reluctant to go off because this is the end of the season, right? I mean, we go into whatever fall recruiting is, and we got some basketball to talk about down the road. Um, but you know, it's uh, we have, I, I guess this Scott, we're going to count this as our. I guess not count it as our sixth season, which is uh, always, always fun to think about considering um, I, I'm not hundred percent certain you're recording, but you know, I'll take that. <laughs> we have an ongoing so. debate. We have an ongoing debate of when the season starts for the record. I think usually we decide our season starts roughly around June. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's our sixth football season. Let's do it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, right. technically, the, yeah, this year we, we, we podcasted in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 will be our seventh football season podcasting. And I, Crazy. Yeah, and it is worth noting, I, I, we've all, after the national championship game, all the top too soon top 25s all came out. And I, 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 it's clearly not too soon because I found myself at halftime of the game last night going – oh, wow, just a few more hours until the top 25s for next year come out. So obviously it's not too soon. But we've seen Georgia. We've seen some people put Georgia. I've, uh, there was one – someone put them one. Who was it that put them one, Tony? Joe Klatt with Fox Sports. Klatt, Klatt did it. Right, right. Klatt did Who's it. been very down on Georgia all year. Yeah. So – and, you know, definitely Georgia is very much in that uh, uh, I'm being a little clever by half. Uh, sort of situation. If like Leslie misses that field goal, I'm betting he isn't putting them number one uh, heading into next year. But, you know, I, it, it has been exciting to see, again, we talked about this a month and a half ago, um, leading up to Labor Day next year. Like that's the next game that matters. And uh, to see that Georgia is obviously going to be in the top five and is almost a trendy click to pick next year. Uh, is is an interesting sort of thing uh, to see moving forward after after a year where, but to me that just puts more pressure on Kirby, right? Like you lose that Clemson game, and that, that's the fun. That's why I like that they schedule those Clemson games and games like that, because I mean honestly, if, if Georgia does what they expect to do next year, that Clemson game is either a ace in the hole or a game that doesn't matter, right? Like if. Like in a lot of ways, if like if Clemson plays, if they play Clemson next year, if they beat them, they can afford to lose the SEC championship game and still probably make the playoffs. And if they don't, then they're in the position where they have to win the SEC championship game anyway. That's what people are already talking about for next year. That's kind of exciting. That's exciting to have that moment to be like, yep, it's not a rebuilding year next year. It's not an LSU year next year. It's building towards something people are excited about. And that's that's a good place to be. Yeah, I can't. I mean, can't put it better than that. Uh, and we get the um, we get the added bump of uh, continuing to be relevant. I don't like to even say it that way uh, because you know, will you you kind of started not start out, but you talked earlier about Georgia's like progressively have worked backwards. But we now have been in a situation where um, you know merely winning the Sugar Bowl and merely winning the Peach Bowl is like eh, it doesn't down here. Yeah. And I want to. I want to be careful. I want to talk the brakes a little bit about this year being a disappointment. Yes, it's disappointing, right? Because we had such high expectations. But I think if you were to be object, were to be objective and say, okay, the guy you thought you were going to be starting quarterback walked out. You started your second string quarterback. 
who clearly was not up to the challenge and went to your fourth string quarterback who took you on the road and had you four minutes left in the third quarter being ahead of the team that won the national championship. And then you ended up having kind of the wheels fall off against your, your in-state rival who was having a, by the way, if, if it hadn't been for Alabama, Florida would have been like, Oh my God, this incredible Kyle Trask Pitts Kadarius Tony thing. But it almost is an afterthought uh, because of what Alabama did to him and kind of the way they ended the season fiddle farting around with, with Oklahoma. And, um, you know, then you, and a lot of people are like, Oh, they lost to eight and four Florida. Well, they, they lost to a Florida team that was at full, pretty close to full strength. Um, and then you turn around and end up beating one of the two unbeaten teams or three unbeaten teams. San Jose state was one, uh, the three unbeaten teams that, that was, uh, went into the bowl season, I guess four now I think back because Ohio state, uh, that with their two games, um, that, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to be too disappointed this season when you're trying to be objective about it. Um, that being said, expectations are going to be so high next next August, and I'm I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. So excited! Interesting thing with the schedule: um, Georgia, of course, you know they open with Clemson, but they open with two non-conference opponents back to back. They close the season with two non-conference opponents back-to-back. So that means eight SEC games eight SEC games squeezed right in the middle. Um, of course, Clemson and Florida, they're both neutral site games. You got UAB, uh, the Blazers coming into Athens uh, September 11th. You have Charleston Southern coming in the week before Tech. And then you go to Bobby Dodd, which is basically a home game for Georgia. Um, I wouldn't expect for the COVID season to be paid back, but you know what? I would. I bet if you polled most Georgia fans, they're like, "Yeah, that's fine. We'll just go back to Atlanta and you know have half the stadium or more." And uh, and, and they'd rather there. fix the Auburn thing than really care about. Yeah, that. exactly. Yes. Yeah. The rotating schedule shows that Arkansas is coming to Athens, so we'll be playing them back to back years. Maybe we can start the game with a safety. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else for us, guys? Or do you have? Do you have any? Are, are you, do you have any like uh, funny stuff at the end? Or are we, I, uh, I wish I did. I'm I'm lucky to be here. I mean, I didn't have a bad day, but you know, just time-wise, um, I can't believe I'm functioning right now. He's been—I know because you know he broke his leg. We <laughs> we haven't really talked about it on Zoom, but like he is laid up. He's covered in. He's literally he's covered in cast. There's just cut out a little mark so you can hear him talk to the podcast. It's a truly heroic thing that you've done today, Scott. That's true. Well, really. we certainly all think you're a hero. Yeah, no, I got up at 4 a.m. and drove to North Carolina to take my family skiing at Cataloochee, and I got back about 7.30, texted the boys, boys meaning Tony and Will. I was like, I'll send you a link in 10 minutes, and we've been podcasting ever since. I've been just going on coffee and fumes for uh, for basically all day. Well done. Well, listen, it's not that late, so we'll. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Everyone, this will be up at 11 o'clock Tuesday night. Scott's on it right now as yep. soon as we're done. It's priority number one. <laughs> I will get my file sent to him by 11 o'clock. <laughs> you know, to be, to be fair, this recording that I'm recording on Zoom sounds pretty good. Nobody's been lagging, so I might just use this one. That's fair. Oh, You've, yeah. earned right. You've earned the right. Throw yeah. it through. All. You can use my Alphonic account if you want to. We'll just throw okay. It right that'd be great. Yeah, I'd be happy to just send that through for you. Yeah. So next time, uh, listeners, I'll have some fun stuff next time. Yeah, we made it, we made it through. And listen, uh, I, we wanted to do the show last Wednesday, but again, 
there was a literal insurrection uh, in this country. So uh, fortunately, uh, in all seriousness, uh, everyone, please stay safe out there. I know that things are crazy um, and I, uh, uh, it's an unprecedented time, but um, I think we're going to be all right. We just got to we just got to get there. We just got to get there. So, uh, and it was just, honestly, it was just fun to talk to you guys. I'm sorry we had to do this over Zoom, but we're not long now to where I think, do we do our next show in person? Do you think we can do our next show? In and, and it's starting to warm up some too. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm fine. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Um, all right. Well, be safe guys. It's good to talk to you guys. Uh, happy new year. And um, um, seriously, please don't storm a federal building. Just, just don't. It's really bad. Like, it's really bad. All right. Be safe, everyone. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk uh, in person next time. Go dogs. Go dogs. And thanks so much for listening. Give us a follow on Twitter at WSLS Podcast. And feel free to send any football offseason show topics. Yeah. Send in some topics that you'd like for us to cover once we reconvene, probably sometime in February. Until then, happy 2021. And we'll see you on campus this fall. And as always, go dogs.